1450 WKXL 103.9 FM in the Capital Region 101.9. Our brand new signal in Manchester. It is Kale and Company. We're presented by Weed Family Automotive, located at 124 Stores Street in Concord. You can call right now for an appointment. Bobby and Charlie are standing by at 603-225-7988. Or you can do it online at the weedfamilyautomotive.com. Well, joining us... On this edition of Kale & Company, one of the best-known voices and faces that New Hampshire has known over the last, what, 30-plus years, thereabouts? Oh, boy, uh, at least. I'm getting old. Yeah, and see, that's there's that familiar voice. But it's not true. You're only as young as you feel, Charlie Sherman. Well, in some days I feel old. <laughs> He's a man, folks, who has had a very diverse career in the Granite State and beyond, a uh, true New Hampshire treasure, with, without a doubt, not to mention a proud graduate of the Leland Powers School of Radio, Television, and Theater. Like yourself, Dan. <laughs> Only one year separated us. <laughs> it's Charlie Sherman, folks. <laughs> and and just, that's it. And you, you really, I mean, you talk about theater. You, you've performed you know, I have. in, in I have. theater. I know you've done Tevye uh, yes. on a number of occasions. Yes, in, that was the high point. Well, that was... It's so funny, Ken, that, um, you know, as we both went to, Leland Powers was a school of radio, television, and theater. So besides going for our radio and television broadcasting, we were forced to do some plays and learn a little bit of theatrics and did some plays. And, you know, after that, it was focusing on radio and then TV. Didn't do anything. And then about uh, 35 years later, in in, uh, 2007, I think it was, I had always said my the goal I always set was I wanted to play Tevian Fiddler on the Roof. And there was never an opportunity to do it. I hadn't done any theater for so many years. And one day they were doing it in uh, the Amherst uh, Community Theater. And Michelle said to me, my wife said, you know, they're going to be doing Fiddler on the Roof. Why don't you go down and audition? I said, are you kidding? I haven't done anything since Leland Powers. <laughs> she said, don't be a schmuck. Get out of an audition. So I did. And two days later, they called me back and they said, you have the part. And I said, great. And I said, now what do I do? They gave me this script of about 200 pages. Oh, yeah. I said, I can't memorize this. So being not too bright, uh, I, I basically am a rote learner. So I got four or five different versions of Fiddler on the Roof, starting, of course, with the one from Topol, uh, the, the uh, theatrical, uh, the uh, television one, or mo- I'm sorry, the movie one yeah. uh, from 1970. And uh, four or five other ones with a lot of local theatrical guys. I have one from George Peel, who many people around New Hampshire know. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. A couple of others from local New Hampshire uh, theater people. And learn by saying the lines as I watched each one of those DVDs. And let my beard grow, which I was shocked, Ken, that it came out white because I didn't know I was that old. That is a just, just for men doesn't cover beards. <laughs> and, and lo and behold, uh, in April, what was it, April, I think it was, 2007, we did uh, a week and a half's worth of performances, and it was truly one of the most gratifying things I, I had ever done. It was so rewarding, and uh, it, it was like a thrill. And then since then, I've done you know, a little bit here and a little bit there, but that was the highlight. Yeah, w- without question. And you... Uh... You you did that role not too long ago. I saw on on a I Facebook did. post. Yeah, I got I got dragged out of retirement a little bit. Uh, didn't grow the beard, but used as we learned at Leland Powers how to use crepe hair 
and spirit gum to make a beard or facial hair and did it, uh, yeah, pulled out of retirement. Uh, but, you know, Kevin is supposed to be in his 50s. <laughs> <laughs> and you mean, I won't go there. You mean you're not? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you know, when Topol did the movie, he was only in his late 30s. Is that right? Had to play a guy in his 50s. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So if you can make yourself look older, I guess you can make yourself look younger. I, I guess. I guess. I'd, I'd like to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, me you know? too. It's yeah. not working real well. <laughs> But you, you mentioned to me on, on more than one occasion that you would also like to play Max Bialystok oh, in The Producers. To. I would love to play Mal- Max Bialystok. I would love to play Jean Valjean. Uh, and I would like to play the lead in Jekyll and Hyde, the musical version of yeah. it. But all of those would require more talent than I possess. Uh, not only of the memorization of the lines, but also you know I have a limited range in my singing ability. And to do something like Jean Valjean, or I, I could I could sing Bialystok's roles in in the producers, but I could never memorize those lines. It's too bad because I, you know, as I get older now, I wish I had done a little bit more of that. But you know, I did enough. Well, when when I think of you know Nathan Lane doing it, uh, oh, you know, yeah. in in the in the producers, I, I every time I see it, and I and I you know I I watched the movie several yeah. times. I, I saw it on Broadway without uh, Nathan Lane in it, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think of you because I, I think you would make the perfect Max <laughs> Bialystok. <laughs> well, I would love to do it. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, I think it's maybe bits and pieces someday if somebody does, like, a review and they only want to do, uh, you know, uh, the King of Broadway yeah. stick or some, something like that, you know, the opening number. I, I'd love to do that. But, yeah, I think my days of doing a full Broadway musical are kind of beyond me. just yeah. can't memorize the lines anymore. But that doesn't mean you can't go to Broadway musicals, and I know you're you're a patron of the arts, Charlie Sherman, and, and lo- love to go to the theater. And, and in retirement, I've, I've we've really had the opportunity to do more uh, because I spend a lot of time in Florida. I think a lot of a lot of the listeners know that my wife had a terrible car accident uh, two and a half years ago, and all of her doctors are down in Florida. And we do have a home there, so I spend I spend quite a bit of time in Florida, especially in the winter, and that's when the uh, it's called the uh, Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts. It's a magnificent facility in Orlando that opened a couple of years ago. So we have season tickets, and the touring shows come during the winter anyway. So uh, we get to go, and uh, just I just love the arts, and I love the theater, the musical theater particularly. We just saw. Uh, Ain't Too Proud, the story of the Temptations, uh, just Tuesday night, I guess it was. And, uh, boy, it's, it's it's just nothing better than seeing live musical theater. Uh, it uh, it was a great show, no no doubt about that, and uh, I I agree, I I do as well. See, people wouldn't think of us, Charlie, as people who love to go to live theater, but uh, you know we're well rounded people. <laughs> well yeah. rounded anyway, <laughs> it's it's funny, Ken, because yeah. you know so many people figure our conversations when you and I ever get together usually surround sports and our interest in sports, but always tend to before you know it shift to talking about theater right. and Broadway. And, and uh, I remember you telling me for years of when your daughter was in college and then after college, and we talked about some of the, the, the her interest in, in theater, and, and we would always end up talking about Broadway and about theater and what plays we'd seen. And uh, it, it really is, you know, unless you've experienced, and I don't know that many kids do these days, although the Palace Theater does a wonderful job with their their uh, programs for kids. Yeah, they do. Yeah, you know, so many schools. When it comes time to cut, 
the first thing they do is cut their theater programs and their arts programs, and that's that's a crime. It's a real shame because there is nothing like live theater. No, and and it does. You know, I mean, most of the kids who participate in those programs will will never go on to perform perhaps anywhere else. But it does so much for them and right. and, and their confidence and uh, self esteem yeah, and getting exactly, in front of a crowd. Absolutely. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, it, it does wonders for them. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in having your youngsters involved uh, in the theater, I think it's uh, the right path uh, to take. I, I know it worked for uh, for my daughter, and, uh, and, and you know, it, she was rather shy before she went into it, and now... Now she's not. I can tell you that much. She's not anymore. Is she still? Uh, is she still involved at all? No, nah, not really. Not not really. She she loves to go, but yeah. uh, she's she's uh, working uh, in another profession now. But uh, but she uh, you know really enjoyed it. Has uh, you know a couple of friends that are are involved that are you know uh, that she grew up with and, and Max Clayton, right? Uh, Max and, Clayton, yeah. John and Clayton's also, nephew, uh, yeah. John Cronin's daughter Kaylee, Kaylee Cronin, who is. Presently, yep. if I'm not mistaken, or at least was in the Broadway musical Tootsie. Yeah, yeah, and uh, she's been involved in, in a number of them uh, on on Broadway. Not Tootsie, I'm sorry, Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. That's right. Yeah, it it, it was Mrs. Doubtfire, and uh, Max is uh, is in a show uh, right now, and uh, he's going to join uh, the cast of uh, the the Music Man. Is he yeah, really? and wow. uh, and he is going to be the uh, the standby for oh my goodness, what's in my, his name escapes me right now. The, the oh, lead, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Yes. Oh my yes, word. Yes, really? Yes. He's Holy he's the standby cow. for Hugh Jackman in the Music Man on Broadway. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's fantastic. Yeah, I saw a great. My daughter sent me a picture of uh, Max and and Hugh Jackman uh, recently. I'll I'll send it to you. Yeah, uh, I'd like a, to see that. It's a great wow. shot. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. but uh, at any rate, so you know, a couple of the performers that she, uh, you know, w- you know, was with when she was young uh, have have really made it uh, on Broadway. Kaylee's been in uh, any number of shows, and and Max uh, as well, and and still are. So uh, mm. that that is great. But uh, as you know, Charlie, just from what you've done uh, in the theater, it's a tough grind. I mean, it, it really is. is. A grind. Oh, it's a tough business, and. You know, once you get to that level, too, it's, you know, you, you just don't know if you're going to, when your show closes, are you going to get another one? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you, there's an awful lot of them waiting on tables in, around New York City. Yeah. And just that auditioning process alone has to be brutal. brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, I mean, if call back after call back yeah. after call back. Yeah. If, you, if you're not, uh, you know, a big name, you're not really guaranteed anything yeah. uh, on the legitimate stage. As it so were. True. Yeah, yeah. Well, Charlie, as uh, men, many people know, you grew, grew up in the Boston area in uh, in Chelsea. and uh, Yes, sir. Wait, wait, Chelsea wait. by the sea. Wait, that's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and when, when you were growing up in the Boston area, uh, Charlie, just about the same time I was, who, who did you listen to on the radio? Oh, my word. Uh, first of all, there was, uh, of course, on WMEX. Uh, Larry, first there was Fenway, but then he was replaced by Larry Justice, yeah. who was still around, by the way. The Halls of uh, Justice. <laughs> Larry Justice just bought a station down on the South Shore in Massachusetts that has the call letters, believe it or not, of WMEX. Really? They have uh, the call letters, and Larry still does an on-air I don't know if he voice tracks it or not, but Larry is on, and they do oldies. And yeah, uh, it's, it, I listen every so often online, 
Yeah. And it's just like they they have the old jingles and all the old WMEX stuff. But that was the station, MEX. And, uh, of course, BZ back then. Yeah. Had Carl DeSue's in the morning and sure. Dave Maynard and D- Jay Dunn. Yeah. And at night, of course, was uh, the king of all talk masters, the original one, Jerry Williams, yeah. followed by Larry Glick. Yeah. The one and only Larry Glick, yes. Yeah. And MEX had uh, uh, Fenway. And then, like I said, after that was Larry Justice. Mel Miller and Melvin X. Melvin and Dan Donovan, followed by Steve Fredericks. Yeah. And in later years, in 1970, one of the guys that I really, really followed closely and met him a couple of times, just recently read his book, was uh, John H. Garabedian. Ah, okay, yeah. Who yeah. Uh, was my radio hero. Yeah. And that was when uh, MEX, that was, so we're talking 1970-ish. Sure. He took over as program director. And the lineup then, it's amazing, I can remember that, so I can't remember what I had for breakfast. Yeah, right. The lineup was Ron Robin in the morning, right. who did who did his early radio stuff in Manchester. Uh, Ron Robin, followed by uh, uh, Jerry Gordon, who was followed by John H. Garabedian, who was followed by the late Bud Ballou. Unbelievable. That was was my, I can remember listening and uh, going parking down at Revere Beach, listening to that lineup. Unbelievable. What what a memory, Charlie. Uh, Useless information. Yeah. Yeah, I totally I, I grew up and 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 listened to of course Larry Justice. I, I mean, uh, no doubt about that. And uh, uh, I was I was a big fan of Norm Nathan. Oh, uh, the uh, best! Uh, oh, right uh, up until he passed. You know, uh, I, there's a uh, podcast that's put on uh, by a fellow who used to be his producer, and he basically plays about an hour's worth of old Norm Nathan. A lot of it's the the silly birthday game he plays. Yeah, and at one point before I went to uh, MUR, in between uh, gigs, I guess you would say one of the gigs I was doing, besides doing traffic at the top of the Prudential Center, um, and all kinds of cable access games and uh, yeah. you know, all the stuff that we used to have to do, but I was doing traffic reports, and they asked me to work an overnight shift, and, and we did the WBZ twenty-four hour traffic network, and Norm course was on the weekends and i was i was doing the traffic and norm would always put you on with them just yeah. to give it a little bit right and i fortunately a couple of times got to do the the, the birth silly birthday game with norm and <laughs> all of the other callers and that is actually on the podcasts that were put up there wow and it yeah i was listening one day and i said oh my god that's me <laughs> and it was from 1991 i think and uh, i got to play the silly birthday game and i won yeah. and of course norm said we can't send you a prize because you worked for the station <laughs> <laughs> he, the prize he was, was like something else he was a very creative oh, guy no, he, he was something yeah chelsea guy by the way yep oh i know i i yeah. know and uh, i met him on several occasions Never had the the opportunity like you did to work with him, but uh, <laughs> just a terrific guy. Gave me oh, a tour one day of uh, WHDH. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it's been he, many he years did. there, he did. When yeah. it was on Morrissey Back Boulevard. On Morrissey Boulevard. Yeah. Now, yeah. Yeah. next to the Globe, the Boston yeah. Globe when it was there. But I didn't get to meet Marilyn Gorelnik, though. I, I, did, <laughs> not, I did not get to meet Marilyn on that, on that occasion. <laughs> she, oh, she wasn't there. Boy. She wasn't in the building, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, Norm was great, and and Jess Kane, and uh, you know so many others in in uh, the Boston area that we we both uh, grew up listening to and influenced us. When when did you know Charlie that you wanted to get fourth into this grade. field? Fourth, fourth grade. Fourth grade. It, it took you I that a, long. Come uh, on. 
I was a horrible student. All I wanted to do was, at the time, be a DJ or be a sportscaster, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah, yeah. And I would sit there in Mrs. Darrow's fourth grade class while she was trying to teach the class. And I can remember sitting there and doodling yeah. a, a little television <laughs> anchor desk with cameras and stick people as the news and the weather and the sports guy. And at the time, Don Gillis was the king of all TV yes. sportscasters. Yeah, right. And I can remember as early as the fourth grade doing that. You know what, Charlie? You have to make a true confession here. One day I, I was wearing like a lighter, like a tan pair of pants in Mrs. Murphy's third grade class. <laughs> and and I, I, had a, I had a pet in my hand. And I wrote on, on, this was on my pants, Charlie. This is how crazy and stupid I was. I wrote the Red Sox starting lineup on, on my pant leg. That's why you didn't forget it? I don't know. I have no idea. So it would be right there on my thigh looking up at me. I don't know. And you're still wearing those pants. I'm still wearing those pants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know, and, and yeah, same as you. I mean, uh, I had that that dream early, you know, and uh, and followed through on. We both, uh, you know, went to the Leland Powers School. I went there. I'll tell you why I I went there was because uh, one of my mentors in the business, uh, Bob Wilson, went That's there. Sick. Uh, myself as well, Bob Wilson, and uh, I can't remember if it was Bill O'Connell, or there were, there were a couple of other, you know, again, at the time, big-name broadcasts, but Bob yeah. Wilson, of course, yeah. who we both got to know over the years, yeah. and uh, that was, I mean, that was the place to go. I couldn't get into BU. I certainly didn't have, you know, I was a dope in school. I'm lucky I went, if I wasn't class president, I wouldn't have graduated high school. You weren't the only one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it was. Uh, couldn't get into anywhere else. Uh, the choices came down to Graham Junior College right. in Kenmore Square right. or Leland Powers. And Leland Powers looked like the easier one to get into. <laughs> and that was the choice. You know, yeah. if you had $1,000, they said, okay, you can start in, in September. So what, what was your first paid job in, in broadcasting? First paid job, I was still at Leland Powers, believe it or not. And a buddy of mine, one of my uh, high school friends and one of my friends growing up, they, there was an art teacher at Chelsea High School, uh, Miss Ruby. And her husband, her ex-husband, was the program director at WUNR, uh, and what was then WBOS. Yeah. And they said, we know Mrs. Ruby's husband, Norm. We'll talk to him for you. So they did, and I went in and met with Norm, and he said, yeah, we can give you a job spinning records on our FM side, which back then was WBOS, beautiful music at the time. Three hours a night, if you're interested, for, I don't know, a couple of bucks an hour. It was in Newton at the transmitter site oh, on wow. Sawmill Brook Parkway. <laughs> and it was, it, it, you know what it reminded me of is when you drive down uh, the Everett Turnpike, and yeah. you see the old WZID little yeah, yeah. little shed there. Yeah. That's what this place looked like with the transmitter. And back then, the the engineer was there full time. Big, big heavy set guy by the name of Bill Bartell. And I would go in. He would be in the transmitter side, and I would go in the little studio, which was a tiny little booth with a rack full of Montavani and one hundred and one strings <laughs> and Percy Sledge, <laughs> not Percy Sledge, uh, Percy Faith. Percy Faith. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, they would give me the, the list, and I would play it as, as needed. And once an hour, I got to say, you're listening to beautiful music on WBOS. And I would call all my friends, and I'd say, I'm going to be on the radio tonight. And they'd all tune in, yeah. and they'd say to me, I thought you were going to be on the radio. 
I said, well, I was. They said, we heard your voice for five seconds. I said, well, I was on the radio. There you go. Playing and the that was my first paid job. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. And, from, well, from there, they I went to the general manager because the, the AM side yeah. was out of the beautiful Hotel Bradford ah, yes. in downtown Boston. Right. And the, U, the AM side was WUNR, and that was where the, the sports huddle started. All right. Yeah. That was followed by Sports Scope. Yeah. And that moved on. So I went into the general manager and said, how do I do a sports stock show? And he said, well, you need to buy your own airtime. So I got together with two friends of mine. It was $60 for an hour. Yeah. And we got to do an hour sports call-in show on Saturday nights. We each had to sell uh, three spots at $10 a piece. And we called it the Chelsea sports scene. And we took phone calls and it was a hoot. I was 19, I think at the time. Yeah. And, uh, one of my sponsors was Commonwealth Bank, and the guy was a big sports fan, and he actually listened to the show. And that's how I ended up in banking for 14 years, because he said to me one day, how'd you like to get a job in the bank? And I said, I'm a broadcaster. No, thanks. Six months later, my wife said to me, my wife now, yeah. of 47 years, said, uh, why don't you call that guy at the bank and get a real job? <laughs> and I did, and I became a teller, and then... He put me in the management program, went back to school nights, and 14, 10 years later, I was vice president. I went to my 10-year class reunion. They said, what are you doing for, for a job? I said, I'm a vice president of a bank. They said, no, really. Your aunt flunked you in algebra. What do you really do? <laughs> I said, no, no, I'm really a vice president of a bank. And uh, But 14 years of that, uh, that's how I ended up in New Hampshire, actually. It wasn't through broadcasting. It was through banking. Yeah. I was a vice president with Indian Head Bank. Wow. But in 1986, I came home, and that's when... Things were miserable in the banking industry. We were foreclosing on orphanages. and yeah. <laughs> I said to my wife, I hate doing this. I'm going to take two years to do what I want to do, what I went to school for, which was broadcasting. Walked away from banking, where it's making pretty serious money, and took a job. Uh, I was working at WTSN in the morning doing sports. I was doing uh, Metro Traffic, which was WBZ Traffic Network. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, four or five nights a week. I would do any cable access play-by-play game that I could do. I did a, a weekly news half hour on the Rochester, New Hampshire cable access station. And I was just about to give up and uh, go back into banking after close to two years. And I was doing traffic reports, and I had worked at WGIR for a short time with Mark Ockerbloom yeah. and knew Ock through when I was at one of the other stations, too. And Ock had gotten hired at Channel 9, and I tried to get hired a number of times at Channel 9, and I, you know, the news director was a guy by the name of Miles Resnick, and I kept going to see Miles, and Miles, yeah, we don't, you're too heavy, you need to lose weight. <laughs> I went home and I lost weight. He said, we don't like facial hair, you need to shave your mustache. I went to shave my mustache, went to see him again, he said, yeah, you need more experience. Oh, so Ocker Bloom calls me up, long story short. Yeah. He said, we got an opening. Frank Malico's going down to Channel 56 in Boston. So I'm moving up, and there'll be an opening. He said, uh, you want me to set up an interview? And I said, Ock, oh, you know, Miles Resnick, three times I've seen him. He said, Miles got fired today. Jack ah. is, the, is the new news director. <laughs> so I went and saw Jack, and Jack said, oh, I've heard of you. People know who you are. Just uh, Why don't you just go out there and anchor this weekend? I said, don't you want to see my resume tape? He said, no, no, that's okay. I went out there scared to death and uh, must have passed the audition because uh, they came so. down and they said, okay, we want to offer you a contract. I'm like, great. 
I was in heaven. Yeah, you know, like you, it's, it's your dream. Yeah, I was uh, fine. My dream was coming true. Gives me a contract. I put it in my pocket. I go home. I pick up a bottle of champagne. I said to Michelle, "I got my dream job. It's it's been a long time in coming. We're so excited. We have dinner." Michelle said, "Well, what's what's the contract? Say, what's it pay?" I said, "I don't know. I didn't even look at it." I opened up. Uh, Charles Sherman uh, hired by WMUR TV. One year contract at eighteen thousand dollars a year. I think I was making sixty when I left the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I would have paid them to do it. It was yeah, my dream yeah, job. Exactly. So, you know, exactly. Four, yeah. Fourteen years later, it worked out pretty well. Had a great run until I kind of uh, screwed it up at the end. But you know, what are you going to do? Well, you live and learn. Y- you do. That that's the, the exit was the exit was ugly, but you know what? It was, I look back at the good times. Exactly, and there there were many of those, and, and we'll oh, talk about those. When we uh, continue, Charlie Sherman, the one and only Charlie Sherman. The Sherm is with us here at 1450 AM WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Concord area, 1019 in Manchester. Kale and Company presented by Weed Family Automotive. Welcome back. It's more of Kale and Company, and great to have you with us today. And also great to have Charlie Sherman with us. And uh, Charlie, a very familiar name voice face uh, in New Hampshire for you know more than 30 years his first uh, uh, TV gig at uh, at WMUR and uh, you were there what you said 14 years 14 yes. and, yeah yep. yeah and yep. uh, and they, they there were some great years uh, oh yeah, that's yeah. tremendous memories tremendous memories but what stands well, out anything anything uh, stand out yeah in- uh, it's it's you know it's so hard to pick out there were so many wonderful things uh I would say in the top of the list, uh, one of one of the first things I got to do was the Bedford Little Leaguers got to Williamsport, the Little League World Series. Yeah. Now I was the number two guy because Ockerbloom was the sports director, but Ock was on a cruise, so there was no way to get him back. So the general manager and and uh, Jack said to me, "We're going to give this thing blown out coverage. We need you go down. You're going down to Williamsport with the team," and went down to Williamsport. And with a cameraman, and started covering the Bedford Little League All Stars. Well, they won their first game or the first two games, and they said, "Listen, this is big. It's huge, and we're going we're going all out on this thing. We're sending Tom Griffith and another cameraman down. You're going to be doing half hour specials every night that you need to put together during the day, interviewing players and families and doing features, and and it was just a spectacular learning experience and. It was unbelievable to learn what it was like for these kids. And I also got to bring my son down, who at the time was the same age as those kids. Yeah. So it turned out to be just a spectacular experience and a wonderful learning experience and something I'll never forget. So that, that was one of the top ones. Uh, covering three Super Bowls, standing in the end zone uh, with all of, uh, all of the, the broadcasters and news reporters as Adam Vinatieri's kick cleared the uprights mm. to win the Patriots' first Super Bowl ever, and then running out in the field with my cameraman and just grabbing players and the emotion. And you know, having grown up a Patriots fan, having gone to every venue that they ever played in, yeah. starting in 1960, yeah. and skipping school and going to the practices at that football field that used to be by uh, by the airport, yeah. by Logan Airport, White Stadium was that uh, White, White Stadium, Stadium. Yeah. right? Yeah. Used to yeah. skip school and go there to watch. Uh, matter of fact, Larry Garen once gave me his chin strap. Oh wow! Which ah. uh, 
which I actually, you know, both of his sons played at the University of New Hampshire. Yeah. I played in a lot of charity golf tournaments with Larry, and I was at an event with Larry and his two sons and got to relay the story about how I never forgot Larry Garen because he was so nice and gave me his chin strap. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, Larry was so moved when I told him the story years later. Uh, what an impression that made on a little kid. And, you know, you, you see these athletes turning away from giving autographs to kids. And, you know, you, you don't realize or they don't realize what an impression I can make just being nice to a little kid. So, but I digress. So, um, the three Super Bowls I got to, three winning Super Bowls I got to cover. I covered one where they lost to one to the Packers. Um, Daytona 500s got to go down with the Bayer family yeah. for many years and do live shots down at the Daytona 500. One of the sad ones was I was there covering when Dale Earnhardt crashed and, and passed mm. away yeah. and doing live shots there. And it was so fresh. And, uh, you know, they just made the announcement that he passed away. And that was uh, one of the sadder uh, events to cover. Uh, you know, it, it, it's really interesting, Ken, but the biggest thrill I got, uh, and I, like I said, there were a lot of them, but the biggest thrill I had didn't relate to sports, believe it or not. I was invited on three different occasions to recite the night before Christmas with Keith Lockhart and the Boston Pops. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Once, yeah. once at the Whittemore Center yeah. and twice at the Verizon Wireless Arena. And to look out there, first of all, growing up in Boston and the Boston Pops and sure. Fiedler and, you know, and then Keith Lockhart, and to stand up on that stage and look out there at 10,000 people looking down at you and you look behind you and you have the Boston pops and you know, if you make one error, just mispronounce one word, everybody's going to know it. And it was a tremendous thrill. Each of the three times was just incredible. But then, you know, there were other regular things. I, I got to ride an elephant at the circus. <laughs> I got to, I got to play against the Harlem Globetrotters, uh, played one of the very last stories I did I got in goal against Raymond Bork, and wow. Raymond would tell me where he's going to hit it, and he said, this one's going to go right in your midsection. And he, he hit me so hard, I fell right into the net. Uh, but again, a great thrill to do something like that. It was, it was just so, so many wonderful times to drive a NASCAR, to, to interview Mario Andretti. Uh, I remember saying to Mario Andretti, you ever have any weird things happen to you in your career? And Mario said, well... One day I was driving down the road in California going to my winery, he said, and I was going pretty fast in my Cadillac, and I got pulled over. The cops said, uh, license and registration. Who do, who do you think you are, Mario Andretti? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did some events with the great Bobby Orr, who was one of my boyhood idols. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, got yeah. to know him a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah. Again, so much of the NASCAR stuff that we did. Uh, uh, Red Sox stuff when they finally turned it around. Uh, Celtics covering Larry Bird. Uh, remember going into those press conferences and they would say to you, Larry will talk to the media after every game, win or lose, as long as the, the questions only are about basketball. If you try to ask anything about his personal life, he will turn around and go back into the locker room. And you know, everybody respected it. Yep. And Larry was great. Uh, you know, not the most personable guy in the world, but certainly great to cover. That, that's interesting because, you know, you never knew very much about his personal no. life, did you? 
Uh, I nope, mean, that, that was very private. Very well guarded. Uh, no yeah. doubt about that. Well, you, you've rubbed shoulders with uh, many of the great ones, and uh, we'll talk more about that and other things, but we have to take a quick break here. It's Kale and Company. Charlie Sherman is our guest. Lots of fun today on AM 1450 WKXL 103.9 in the Capital Region, 101.9 in Manchester. Kale and Company presented by Weed Family Automotive, 124 Store Street in Concord. Welcome back. It's Kale and Company. Charlie Sherman, our guest today here on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com presented by Weed Family Automotive. Well, I saw a Facebook post of yours the other day, and you were sharing a cigar with a Hall of Famer, Big Poppy, David Ortiz. Yes. Yeah. Uh, again, another big thrill. You talk about thrills. Got invited to go down to his golf tournament. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I, got, I, I was so fortunate. Again, you're kind of a big fish in a little pond, as you know, uh, working in New Hampshire. And uh, there was only basically the one TV station, you know, we had two for a little while. And, uh, but I was, I was working at, uh, the other TV station. I had three fun years working there at NH1. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got invited to celebrity events. We did dozens and dozens of celebrity golf tournaments and celebrity, uh, charity ski events. And, you know, you got to use your little bit of celebrity to help raise money for different causes. And uh, one of those causes was the David Ortiz Golf Tournament. And to get out there and smoke cigars with him. And <laughs> I have a great picture of uh, smoking cigars with Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. And playing golf with uh, Miggy and, and with Johnny Damon and his wife. And, uh, you know, just uh, incredible to, you know, you look back and you say, did I really get to do that stuff? I don't know. Who am I, the schmo from Chelsea, you know, able to, to truly live a dream? Um, you know, and, and, and also, you know, help a lot of causes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting as, as I think, you know, and most of the listeners know at the end, I got to run, uh, for six years, new horizons, yes, uh, homeless yeah. shelter, soup kitchen and food pantry. But you know, one of the biggest thrills I ever had beyond, you know, doing something good there, or at least I'd like to think we did some good, uh, was, uh, starting the penguin plunge. I was playing at a charity golf tournament one year. Up in, uh, oh boy, up in uh, Gorham, New Hampshire. And uh, Mary Conroy, who's now the head of Special Olympics, said to me, you know, we need to do a big fundraising event, event for Special Olympics. So we sat down and we threw some ideas around. And she said, what would you think of jumping into the Atlantic Ocean in February? And I said, you got to be kidding me, right? She said, no, no, we call it the Penguin Plunge and you could be the Emperor Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> and at first I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And then she said, you know, I think we can raise some money for Special Olympics. So I agreed to it, and we went down that first February, and I remember I was driving down with my wife, and you know, I always cut things close as far as time-wise, and I got to near Hampton Beach, and traffic was backed up for about two miles. So I'm never going to get there in time. So finally, I got out of the car, and I called, and they sent the police cruiser up to get me out of my car, because there were so many people there, wow. both yeah. ready to jump into the ocean yeah. and to watch these crazy people jump into the ocean. Oh, to watch you to raise jump money into for the Special ocean. Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And did that for five years, and uh, it, was, it was unbelievable. We raised uh, about a million dollars over those first five years. Uh, sadly, after uh, I left Channel 9 and was at uh, 
a radio station in Manchester, <laughs> the guy from Special Olympics called me and said, uh, we don't need you anymore. Really? <laughs> said, what are you talking yeah. about? Yes. And he said, yeah, we, uh, Channel 9 won't cover it if, if you do it. And I said, well, who needs them? And he said, yeah, no, we, we're not going not gonna to have you participate wow. anymore. That was a little heartbreaking. I, yeah, it still, I would say. It still stings a little bit because you don't do it because of that. You do it because... You know, you raise money for a wonderful organization. But anyway, you know, you, there were a few stings along the way. You know, uh, when I left Channel 9, it was a lot of people I thought, uh, you think of your friends and you find out the hard way that, you know, they liked being around the celebrity, quote unquote, and weren't true friends. And I guess I was a little naive thinking that, yeah, these people were my friends through thick and thin. And uh, they were only there through, through the good times, not the bad times. But, you know, you live and learn. Yeah. Again, as I look back now, the, the good times far away. That's oh, right. absolutely, and you'll always yeah. be the king penguin to me, Charlie. Sure. No, uh, Ken, and, you're uh, too kind. Uh, <laughs> How about one of my big thrills working with you doing color of Manchester Monarchs broadcast for a couple of seasons? I I love that. I love. Work, I did as well with you. Yeah, it was a, a great experience. I, I still wish we had a hockey team uh, oh, in, in Manchester, and uh, maybe uh, one of these years it'll happen again. But uh, uh, who knows? Maybe we can reunite if they get another team back in well, Manchester. Someday. You never know. Yeah. We did have some good times with, you know, when Eisenberg came to town oh, and the Monarchs yeah. were being formed. Yeah. Uh, again, you talk about great memories, uh, just thinking back to that stuff and the, the starting of it when when Jeff was the only employee and watching the organization build and you know, being a part of it on kind of the outside, but being able to be close to it all and, uh, you know, watching it turn into what it did through the good years. Yep. And then, like I said, uh, for a couple of years, even after I left the TV station, being your broadcast partner, which to me was a thrill, Ken, because you were always one of my broadcast heroes. I know you, you listened to me when you were growing up, right? In well, I did. <laughs> I, can, I can remember the Ken Kale of uh, a big Boston radio station. There you go. But, uh, yeah, we had a great time doing those games together, and, uh, you know, the, I'll never forget those years, and, had some, you know, great partners over the years like yourself. You know, the the first year I did the Monarchs, I think you'll remember my first two partners, uh, broadcast partners, were Pat Burns and Rick yep. Middleton. I do remember that, yes. And uh, I'll yeah. tell you what, I, I was so, the first game I did uh, for the Monarchs was in Lowell because, of course, the first season they played uh, 13 straight road games right. because the Verizon wasn't ready. So right. they had to play the first that. 13 on the road. And uh, first game I ever did uh, in the uh, American Hockey League. I had never done a professional hockey game before, many high school games in the past. But the first professional game was with Pat Burns, and that that was a pretty intimidating <laughs> experience. Yes, he, he could be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, that's that's one of the other uh, you know fun parts of, of what we've done is have became friends very friendly. Matter of fact, I smoked a lot of cigars with Pat. Yeah. up in the Lakes region, but uh, to become friends with the late Pat Burns and Ricky Middleton and uh, one of the guys I'm still very friendly with, matter of fact, well, my wife and I are going to go down to visit them either later this month or next month, is Don Ori and his wife. Uh, yeah. We go down and we met yeah. Don and, and uh, Don and his wife were up here and we went and uh, a couple of times. Matter of fact, they came up to visit us a couple of uh, two months, three months ago, and they were going to come up for two or three days, and they ended up staying five days. Don, I can't get rid of you. <laughs> That's great. I but, remember him well. Number twenty-six. Yeah, Don absolutely. Ory. Yeah, yeah. But 
you know, so you become friends with a lot of these guys, uh, Gary Doak and and uh, Bobby Miller and uh, just, you know, so many of these guys that you grew up watching and suddenly right. you're, yeah. you're the peers, are their, you know, they're friends of yours and you find out, gee, they're just regular guys just like, just like we are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie, we have to take one more quick break, and then we'll be back to uh, to wrap things up here on uh, Kale & Company on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 in Manchester. We are presented by Weed Family Automotive. We are back. It is Kale & Company. Charlie Sherman is my guest, and uh, uh, Charlie, a very, very familiar Face and voice over the uh, the last uh, thirty plus years in, in New Hampshire and and beyond did uh, quite a bit of work over the years at, at WBZ Radio. You're still doing anything for them, Charlie? No, you no. know, Ken. It was I, I did three years down there weekends. Yeah. I, I really worked out a really good deal with them. Uh, I would do two weekends a month, and Doug Cope would do the other two weekends a month. First, it was started every weekend, but then I was spending more and more time in Florida after Michelle's accident. And uh, worked out a great arrangement where I would do the first two weekends of the month, and Doug Cope would do the second two weekends of the month. And then COVID hit, and uh, they wouldn't allow anybody into the building. And they said, "Well, we'll set you up at home. We'll send a you know you can nowadays you can do it anywhere. We'll send your computer and all of the the equipment that you need." And you know, I don't really want to be sitting in my pajamas talking. You know, in the dark by myself, the beauty of working at WBZ was going in and working with these broadcast, true broadcast legends that I grew up, many of them, listening to. And the camaraderie of working with those people, you know, it wasn't an environment, Ken, and I know we've both been through this, where everybody's trying to climb their way to the top and step on toes and getting... When you're working in an environment like that, everybody kind of knows who they are and what they are. And there's none of that politicking going on. So I, I love going into that building. But once COVID came, I, I wasn't going to do it. And if, it, if COVID had lasted a couple of months, yep. probably would have gone back. But it's only recently that they've even allowed people back into the building. And so I've kind of accepted the fact that, you know what, it was a good run, both in radio and in TV and ending with a gig like BZ was truly, a, you know, a a pretty good run, but it's it's time to pass the torch, and it's you know it's, it's younger kids and younger people, and the technology's changing. And I'm not a I'm not one to tweet, and even at BZ, they wanted you to tweet and update the Facebook page and and Instagram, and uh, just I'm a dinosaur when it comes to that stuff. So yeah. the timing was probably good. Well, you do some pretty good Facebook posts. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) I guess even us dinosaurs can do them, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny because I get kind of a kick out of it because, you know, especially when I was still on TV, uh, you know, I would kind of accept any friend request and and got to like 5,000 and then suddenly I wasn't on anymore. And every so often I would post something. It would be like hundreds and hundreds of people liking it or making yeah. comments. And I said, this is kind of fun. People actually care where I am or who I'm seen with. Yeah. So I kind of have fun with it sure. and post things. And yeah. I, I'm just, I'm flattered that people have any interest in, in anything that I do anymore. But, uh, you know, I get a kick out of it and I hear from people that I otherwise would never have heard from. 
and you know you you maintain some some relationships that way, uh, whether it's just through the Facebook or you get their email addresses or when I'm around even to to grab lunch with. So it, it is a good way of of staying in touch with it people. Is. I mean, I, I prefer yeah. face-to-face, but yeah. it's still nice to, to be able to have some type of contact with the outside world. Well, Charlie, it's it's been great. We have to wrap things up, but uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime, and uh, always a joy to chat with you. Ken, always a pleasure. One of my favorite people. You always have been, and you continue to be, and it's, it's a pleasure to chat with you, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Charlie. Thanks, Ken. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Charlie Sherman, right here on Kale & Company on WKXL. Thanks for joining us. Join us again right here on Kale & Company and NHTalkRadio.com.